For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Sorry, it's taking me so long to get up there. I almost left my coffee. You guys are great. Let's uh, pray together. We'll dive into this passage of scripture. Lord, we want to thank you for everything you do. We want to thank you for being so willing to meet us here in this place. We want to thank you for your grace and giving us your word. We don't deserve to look into these things, but you have provided them anyway. God, as we listen to your word this morning, I just want to ask you to open our eyes, open our ears. God, give us minds that understand what you have to say. Through the proclamation of your word, we ask that you turn our hearts to you. Revive us again, O God. Come wrestle us this morning and win. God, we love you and thank you for everything. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last week, we we saw Paul's purpose statement for 1 Corinthians for this letter he's writing to this really unhealthy church. We saw his purpose statement and we saw his justification, the reason he is writing. Uh, in verse 10, we saw that he is writing to encourage unity through maturity in the faith. And in verses 11 through 17, we saw Paul's reason that there are divisions in the church at Corinth. Uh, There are divisions based on doctrine and there are divisions based on practice. Some people are are of Paul and some people are of Apollos and some people are of Peter and still others say they are of Christ and they have made the teachings of Christ into like a denomination within the congregation. So there are like denominational divisions within the local church. So Paul is writing to encourage unity. And in verse 17, Paul said, and I'm not preaching to you with, with cleverness of speech. I'm telling you about the cross of Christ. I gave you the gospel when I was there for a year and a half, and it is the gospel by which you are confirmed as a local church. That's the reason I believe you're, you're within the community of faith. I believe you are in Christ because the gospel was confirmed in you. That is what I gave you the gospel, not in cleverness of speech. And this morning, 
we simply ask, what does it mean that the gospel is not presented with cleverness of speech, but instead just a plain, basic gospel? That's what Paul is explaining in verses 18 through 31, and we are going to see this passage in three parts. Verses 18 through 21, we'll see our, meaning Christians, our foolishness, the foolishness of our faith. Verses 22 through 25, we will see our, our distinction. And in verses 26 through 31, we will see our calling. Verse 18, Paul explaining why the gospel is presented not in cleverness of speech. For, or because, I'm preaching this way, not in cleverness of speech, because the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power, the power of God. Here, Paul, Paul presents two different groups of people. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And he says, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is, it's the power of God to those who are being saved. Why does Paul make this sort of distinction? Why is the word of the cross, the teaching about Jesus, the gospel, why is it foolishness to those who are perishing? And why is it the power of God to those who believe, those who are being saved? We get some clarification in Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, Apparently he wasn't clear enough in his first letter. And the church said, hey, Now we really don't like you. And he had to explain himself again. And here's the clarification he makes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Not walking in craftiness. This sounds like what he wrote about in 1 Corinthians. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. But by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. There Paul saying, we don't, we don't tell you exactly what to think, exactly what to do. We preach the gospel of Christ, commending ourselves to each man's conscience. Not adulterating the word of God, not adding to it, not taking away from it. This is our goal, not in craftiness, making stuff up, adding stuff to the text of scripture, but giving you the word of God as God gave the word, teaching, preaching, expositorily, explaining the text and then offering application in a very real way. That's what we are committed to. That's what Paul is committed to. Verse 3 in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, And even if our gospel is veiled, hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The same kind of language. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of of God. Now Paul's statement here is it's powerful. And it's unmistakable what he means when he says this. It's those who are perishing, they hear the gospel. They hear the the correct revelation of Jesus Christ. They hear about Christ's person and work. They are invited to partake in the gospel. They are invited into the church, universal and local. They are invited into communion, fellowship with, with Christ. And they reject the invitation and they reject the gospel. They ignore the gospel or they contend against the gospel because they don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. This message is foolishness to them because they are thinking like the world thinks and they are seeing like the world sees and they are hearing like the world hears. The gospel is foolishness to them because the God of this age has blinded them. 
has kept them from seeing the light of the gospel. And we would affirm the only way someone can possibly hear and respond to the gospel is if the Holy Spirit first comes and regenerates the heart, kicks Satan to the curb, binds Satan, and opens a person's eyes and ears and mind to hear and understand and respond to the gospel. That's what we call new birth in the Spirit. That's what it means to be born again, to be regenerated, and one cannot even see the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus taught in John chapter 3. One can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again by the Spirit. And John also makes it a point to tell us, and the Spirit does what the Spirit wants, is like the wind. You see the effects of the wind, you feel the wind, but you can't see, can't see where it's coming or where it is going. The Holy Spirit regenerates the heart, gives people new birth. Then and only then do people, do people really hear the gospel and understand it and respond to it. In John chapter 10, Jesus also taught that His sheep hear His voice. John 10, verses 25 through 30, Jesus answered, them, this is after some, some Jews gathered around him and said, Hey, tell, tell us plainly. <laughs> are you the Messiah? Are you the guy? Stop speaking in riddles. Just, just tell us. Like, like, are you the guy? And Jesus answered them, I told you. I did tell you plainly. I told you. And you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. Why, why didn't they believe? They were not of His sheep. You have to be of Christ's fold before hearing and believing the Gospel. Verse 27 in John chapter 10, Jesus continues, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them relationally. I know them, and they follow Me. It's this, if Jesus knows us, if we are of His sheep, we hear His Gospel, and we recognize His voice, and we do follow Him. That's the progression. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me. It's all the work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's who does this salvific work. That's who sanctifies the people of God. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There is great encouragement, great comfort for those who are in Christ. They were secured by the Father, by His will before the foundation of the world. And we can't be lost. We can't. We, we can't. We can't be taken out of Jesus' hand. Like, that's amazing. But to those who are perishing, the gospel is veiled. It is foolishness because they have not been regenerated. They have not been enlightened, given eyes to see and ears to hear. No matter how eloquent our speech, how great our arguments, those who are perishing will always see it as foolishness. And that is the foolishness of our faith. It's not a foolishness from God's perspective. It is a foolishness from the perspective of the world, which is self-seeking, self-exalting, and self-glorifying, and self-justifying. The gospel is foolishness from that point of view because the gospel calls people to repentance. Well, why do I need to repent? I live a pretty good life. That's a response from the world, right? The gospel is foolishness because the message of the gospel calls people to deny themselves. And the message of the gospel is foolishness to the world because the gospel, the application of the gospel means that we consider others to be more important than ourselves. To live humble and peaceable lives and to not seek power that sort of gospel is foolishness to the world but for those who are being saved that is the power of God 
the humility of the gospel and the meekness of the gospel. Considering others to be more important than ourselves is that is the power of God and there is satisfaction and there is fulfillment in that that I can't even begin to to try to explain here from the pulpit. But that's okay because I'm not to come with cleverness of speech. Only with the gospel. Verse 19. For it is written, this is in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14. Paul is quoting from the prophet, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached, the gospel, to save those who believe. Here, we, we catch quite a magnificent glimpse into what God is doing throughout world history in human governments and human politics and churches in our lives overall in the legislation that is pushed forward by our human governmental leaders we catch a glimpse that this this wisdom of the world God is purposefully making that revealing that to be foolish God is humbling people he is putting people in their places when we just experienced (laughs) some people were calling 2020 like unprecedented no it was precedented okay it wasn't the worst year on earth ever right Uh, read history okay Uh, history is beneficial (laughs) we should read it's not the worst year in history but we learned a lot in 2020 didn't we some bad stuff happened in 2020 from a pandemic to decisions being made on governmental levels to quite the show come election time and here we read that God is well pleased to make foolish the wisdom of the world isn't God's timing giving us this passage so so perfect when we see God doing this today and answer me this question how many governments around the world how many politicians how many religions how much legislation is being passed in the name of peace and justice how many social cultural movements are there in in the name of peace and justice not just last year but throughout history countless countless and tell me this has peace and justice been accomplished with all of all of the governments of the world pursuing peace and justice and and all the legislation being passed concerning peace and justice or with peace and justice as the goal and and the religions that people piece together for themselves in the name of, of peace and justice and unity, our, our collective faith, I heard it called recently. Has justice and peace been accomplished by any of these means? Not by a long shot. And here we read that God is revealing the foolishness of the world the foolishness of human religion and human politics and human governments human legislation he's revealing the foolishness and it pleases him to do so God is not like people in fact God is well pleased through the foolishness of his own message remember foolish from the perspective of the world not the perspective of God or the foolishness of his own message, which is preached to, to save those who believe, to bring those who believe into real, lasting peace and justice and 
glory and to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That in all of the world movements of history, the gospel would reign supreme. Mm. This message that is foolishness to the world, but actually reveals that every human-centered message is foolish because it fails to accomplish that which it promises. Human philosophies are revealed as foolishness. And human-centered ethics are revealed as foolishness. And human-centered governments, legislation, and religion revealed as foolishness. That this gospel of forgiveness rather than power that comes in meekness rather than violence would reign supreme and overtake the earth. God is well pleased. He is well pleased to reveal the foolishness of humanity through, the, through human history and to reveal the supremacy of His gospel, of His message, of His forgiveness, of His peace. Verses 22 through 25 are our distinction. For indeed, Jews ask for signs. Was Paul a Jew? Paul was a Jew. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Being trained for, for, for a seat on the Sanhedrin. Oh, he knew about what the Jews looked for. He himself was trained to look for signs, signs here of the end of the age, signs which in 1 Corinthians are a topic of debate in the Corinthian church. And the Corinthian believers, one of the things they are disputing about and being divided over are, are spiritual gifts. And part of this debate is some people think spiritual gifts are signs and necessary and that certain people, like if you get saved, you will exhibit certain spiritual gifts and that is the confirmation of the faith. And if you don't exhibit those gifts, you ain't saved. You don't have the Spirit because you don't have a gift of the Spirit. And some people are like, no, that's not right. Paul himself gave the only confirming sign, which is the gospel. And now he's talking, now he's writing about the power of the gospel and the supremacy of the gospel over all things. Jews look for signs, signs of confirmation, signs of the end of the age. Jews look for that. And Greeks search for wisdom. Was Paul a Greek? Yeah, he was both. He was a Jew and a Roman citizen. Some scholars believe he, he was the child of a mixed marriage between a Jew and a Gentile. And that's why he had Roman citizenship. Hard to know for sure. Really difficult to know for sure. But Paul was trained in Hellenistic philosophy. That's clear as we, as we read through his letters that he writes philosophically in Hellenistic logical form. He says the Greeks, they search for wisdom. Now this sounds really familiar to our own day, doesn't it? And we, we idolize our philosophy and our science and our education. Also, in the church today, we see signs being exalted. People look for signs of the end of the age, and people look for confirming signs that that people have come into salvation. And in verse 23, Paul says, But we, contrary to that, he he says, we don't look for signs. We don't ask for signs. We don't search for for that kind of wisdom, that worldly wisdom, that intellectual, like we don't seek after that. Instead, we preach Christ crucified. Why? Because the gospel is more powerful than signs, and the gospel is more powerful than human wisdom, intellect. To Jews, the gospel, Christ crucified, To Jews, those who seek a sign, the gospel is a stumbling 
block. Now listen to this in 1 Corinthians. How many churches do you have today exalting signs, confirming signs of salvation and signs of the ends of the times? And how many preachers are out there taking the history of the world and what's happening now and saying, look, there's the sign. This is how it matches up with Scripture. This is where we are on the prophetic timeline. So many. And here Paul says the gospel is a stumbling block to that kind of faith, to people who look for signs. And how many people do we have out there who are, who are preaching that if you come to Christ, you will necessarily speak in tongues. And that's the confirming sign. Now, through 1 Corinthians, Paul doesn't totally discredit the gift of signs. He'll talk about its rightful use later in the letter. But to see it as a confirming sign... The gospel is a stumbling block to us if we see it that way, according to Paul here in 1 Corinthians. To look for signs in other ways, to say, I don't know how you feel about the COVID vaccine. There are some, certainly some moral issues involved when thinking about whether or not to get a vaccine. Doubtless, moral issues involved that we should think through and we should think through reasonably. But to say something like, it's the mark of the beast, is wrong-headed. It's another way people look for signs. And decades pass, every decade, some new thing is invented and somebody says, that's the mark of the beast. It's a sign And to that kind of faith, the the gospel, just the simple gospel message, Christ crucified, is a stumbling block. Be very careful, brothers and sisters, looking for signs. And to Gentiles, those who seek wisdom, this gospel is foolishness and will cause them to fall into foolishness. And this is where I get hurt a little bit, y'all. I consider myself to be a pretty bright person pretty intelligent person but if I find my identity and my intellect and how much I know and the gospel is foolishness to me and reveals me to be foolish that's how this works out my focus is not to be on my own knowledge and my own intellect and my own superiority of mind be on the cross of Christ and the message I preach from this pulpit is not to be Andrew Cannon's teaching (laughs) presenting Andrew Cannon as a spiritual guru it is to simply be the words of the cross that is the standard we set here at the church at Sunsites for all of our teaching for all of our teachers why? because If I exalt myself in that way, I have not believed the gospel. The gospel is its foolishness to me, like it is a stumbling block to those who look for signs. Verse 24, but to those who are the called, as opposed to this, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let me put it another way. Christ is all we need. We don't need the extra stuff. Intellectual pursuit is a good slave, a terrible master. Spiritual gifts are a good slave, but a terrible master. Do you understand what I'm getting at here? And both of these things were points of division within the church at at Corinth. Notice in verse 24, Paul refers to a single people of God. Those who are called. Those who are in Christ. 
both Jews and Greeks. Now, this is not replacement theology. The church does not replace Israel. But here, Paul is putting the Jews and the Greeks together. He's establishing a single body, a single group of people who are in Christ, Jew and Greek, together. Almost like, almost like the Gentiles, the Greeks have been grafted into Israel. That they do not exist apart from each other. Christ only has one church. And for His church, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Paul isn't saying here that God is foolish in any way. He's attesting to the the humble means by which God spreads His gospel. The humble message of the gospel. This foolishness, this humility, this meekness, it's, it's wiser than men in all of their ivory tower philosophies and doctrines and and politics and legislation and religion. Well, the foolishness of God is wiser. And the weakness of God, Paul isn't saying that God is weak in any way. He's referring to God's meekness. Again, this humility. The weakness of God is stronger than men. You think the armies of the world are strong? You think those people who take it upon themselves to persecute Christians around the world are, are strong? Then tell me this. How is Christianity thriving in those nations? If they're so strong, how is the church spreading in those nations? Do you realize, and this is crazy, do you realize how miraculous it is that Christianity even exists today? That when Jesus was crucified, Christianity didn't die? You know how miraculous that is? And it survived Jesus' crucifixion. And then the apostles, the leaders of the church, they died too. Jesus was raised from the dead. Okay, so just keep that in mind. But the apostles died, and they weren't raised from the dead. They were the ones building the church, and when they died, the church continued. (laughs) And then the patristics, they died. We get on down to the reformers, and guess what? The reformers died, and the church continued. Then Islam was born, and Islam made violent war against Christians. And nearly eradicated every Christian on the planet. Did you know that happened? Islam nearly eradicated every Christian on the planet. And then there was a miraculous explosion of Christianity worldwide. Like that persecution was the thing that spurred on this Christ, the meek, humble Christian message of forgiveness and loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. How do those who forgive their enemies, who, who, who pray for those who persecute them and who love their enemies, who feed their enemies, how do they prosper more than those who kill their enemies in this world? It's miraculous to think about. Now here Paul gives us the answer. It pleases God to ruin the wisdom of the world and the ways of the world. And through His meek, humble message, forgiveness and peace overtake the whole world. And that's what we see God doing throughout history. It's kind of difficult to miss if we just look at the events of world history and the events of our own day. The church is thriving. And there is no reason by the standards of the world that the church should be thriving. Everything in the world is against Christians. And there's no reason that the church at Sunsite should still be here. You realize how miraculous it is that the church at Sunsites is even here? Yeah. And the only real explanation that God is working and He's making foolish the ways of the world. 
The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I could put this another way. You've heard the phrase, the pen is mightier than the sword. You've heard that. We understand what that means. The gospel is mightier than armies, legislation, and human religion. The gospel is mightier. The gospel wins. And the way this works out eschatologically, by the way, God overtakes the whole world and it is the wicked who perish, not the righteous. And He's doing it by means of humility and meekness and peace and forgiveness. The gospel this thing that we preach, we don't just preach it. It doesn't just fall on our ears and we go home and that's, that's it. This is power. This message is the most powerful message in world history. It has destroyed nations just by somebody proclaiming the words. It has destroyed nations. It has brought down politicians. It has ruined religious systems. It has humbled preachers. And it has overtaken the whole world. Just because, just because God spoke it. Verse 26 through 31, our calling. For consider your calling, brethren. That there are not many wise according to the flesh. Now, wait a minute, Paul. <laughs> are you calling us, us dumb? <laughs> are, you, are you saying we're stupid and we have something wrong with our heads? <laughs> no, that's not, that's not what Paul is doing here. He's saying that according to the ways of the world, not many of you were that bright, that philosophically minded. Not many of you were that intelligent. Not many of you were really that smart according to the ways of the world. There were not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty. You guys weren't really that strong. Let's be honest here. You couldn't, you couldn't really do much. If, I mean, if you had to fight against somebody, um, you, might, you might win against someone weaker than you, but there's always going to be somebody stronger. Amen. Right? Not many of you really know how to fight anyway. Sometimes I like to think I know how to fight. Are you challenging? <laughs> Paul says, not many noble. Not many of you were really respectable people in society. You see what kind of people the church in Corinth is composed of? It's not those who are high society. Those who are really pious. Those who are really that strong not those who are really that smart but God has chosen the foolish things of the world what kind of people does God choose the lowly the weak not the high pious people not the people who are necessarily that respectable according to society's standards. He doesn't necessarily call people who are strong. He's, he's not building that kind of army. He's not, he's not calling people to himself that are necessarily that smart. I think God cares less about our intelligence and more, more about us just following Him. Right? He doesn't care about our nobility. Well, this right here ought to tell you God's not going to judge a preacher for not wearing a suit. Right? God doesn't judge based on outward appearance. In fact, He calls the lowly. He calls those who don't have it all together. He calls addicts. 
He calls people who don't necessarily have the best control of their tongue, if you know what I mean. He calls sinners. And Jesus even taught it that way, didn't He? I didn't come to call the righteous. I I came to call sinners. That's who Jesus wants. Why? Why does Jesus want those, those kinds of people? Why does He want them? I'm one of them, by the way. I'm one of those kinds of people. Because He... He takes the foolish things according to the standards of the world in order to shame those who are wise according to the standards of the world. And God has chosen the weak things of the world in order to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God calls the outcasts. He calls the despised. God has chosen the things that are not exalted or considered by the standards of society so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. There's God's motivation right there. His glory. So nobody can say, yeah, I did that. I guess God doesn't care so much about human progress or cultural progress. Again, maybe good slaves, but terrible masters. No. God's desire, His motivation is to... Now this message is going to go over well in society, isn't it? <laughs> God, God's plan, His motivation is to shame society so He receives glory. So people focus on Him. That's what God is all about. This is what separates biblical Christianity from every other religion on the face of the planet. Amen. Because every other religion is about self-actualization. Me getting a place in heaven. Me getting what's coming to me in heaven. A mansion on a hill. Streets of gold on my property. Some some worldviews teach that you get a world to rule. Or you become one with the cosmos. It's all about self-actualization. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is different. It's foolishness according to the message of the world. It's the shame of humanity, the humility of humanity. That God would call a people to Himself and make them weak, so that in our weakness He is glorified, and His strength is made perfect. Look, there, there's no other reason for the church to exist other than God's glory. And the only means by which the church exists with this kind of message is kind of miraculous. Um, it kind of it kind of proves that the God of the Bible is real. Verse thirty. But by His doing, who's doing? His. You are in Christ Jesus. The only explanation we have for this whole Christian phenomenon <laughs> of peace. Forgiveness and praying for enemies and loving those who persecute us. There's only one way we can explain that. By His doing, not by our own. By His doing, we are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom. Wait, by whose doing does Christ become wisdom to us? By whose doing do we gain knowledge of Christ and He becomes our wisdom? Only by His doing. By His doing, we become righteousness or we take on Christ who becomes righteousness to us. By His doing, we are sanctified. We are, we are sanctified in Christ Jesus. By His doing, not by ours, not by any work of our own. Paul here explicitly classifies sanctification as a holistic work of God. And redemption by His doing. Redemption in Christ Jesus. So that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not in signs. Not in wonders. Not in knowledge. Not in education. Not in human wisdom. Not in human religion. Only in the Lord. 
This is why Paul doesn't preach the gospel with cleverness of speech. He just speaks the word of God. The Holy Spirit will call whom the Holy Spirit wills to call. All so that God receives all glory. That's why workspace righteousness doesn't make any sense. That's why it doesn't make any sense to say that in order to receive salvation, we must, must be in the operative word, we must pray a prayer or do certain good things. This is holistically God's work. And God designed it that way on purpose so we cannot boast. When we do boast, we boast in God. <laughs> we make Him famous, not ourselves. Amen. It's all about you. Jesus. I forget the melody for that part. Jesus is the next word in that song. It's because I always make a joke out of the song, don't I? I'm sorry. <laughs> I had a question asked by one of our church members. What does the church at Sunsites reveal to the community about God's Word? The Gospel is, is paramount. The Gospel is what confirms a church. The Gospel is what goes out from a church. It's the Gospel. Sometimes we get so caught up telling people about how we think they're wrong and living in sin. The gospel is the thing to be on our lips. In response to everything happening politically, the gospel. You understand, when human governments fail, it gives us an opportunity to do one of two things. Complain about it, or speak life into it. Speak the gospel into that circumstance. We can do one or the other. And the message here bids us speak the gospel. When things seem to go terribly awry, terribly wrong, speak the gospel into that. When legislation is being passed that doesn't seem very Christian, we can complain about it or we can speak the gospel into that. When human religion doesn't quite seem up to par with salvation by grace alone through faith alone, we can complain about it or speak the gospel into that. Strike up reasonable conversations with people. Everything preached and taught here makes it out into our community. This is one way we get the Word of God out and the Gospel out. This happens through web ministry and on social media. It also happens through you, congregation, and me. We are called to represent Christ in our homes and in workplaces and in our communities and among our neighbors. Um, brother, I don't, I don't stand up here and teach you just so you can hear a message and go home. I hope you know that. Amen. But my desire is for you to take this and speak it to others. God hasn't called us to be a kingdom of people with one priest in the church. He's called us to be a kingdom of priests. We all represent Him. And we are all priests as we go about our lives in our homes and in our workplaces and in our communities and among our neighbors. Take these words and speak life. Speak life in your circles of influence. That's how the message gets out of this church and into our our community. And I'm not asking you to do something that I don't do. I go out into our community and I share the gospel too. And you do. It's important. We are a kingdom of priests. And on Sunday mornings, I am equipping you for, for the work of God's divine priesthood, His kingdom of priests. Every Sunday morning when we partake of the Lord's Supper, one of the things that's happening in in the meal is our our sins are, are symbolically like being forgiven in that moment. We are receiving the means of grace. But don't forget, like when the meal was over, Jesus went out and He died on a cross. And He told His disciples to take His message. 
Don't just observe the meal, but, but be this. Be Christ to others. So I'm equipping you and commissioning you Go share the gospel. When we go out out that door right there, or out the other door, depending on which, which door you go out or whatever, you're entering your mission field. And I am entering mine. This is where we come to, to gather, be the church together and stimulate one another onto love and good deeds. And, and then we depart into our mission fields. And each of us is serving in a different context Take advantage of that. Speak life into our community, into your community, among your neighbors, among your co-workers, and among your families. If we aren't doing that, I'm not sure we're actually receiving the Word of God. And the Gospel is enough. You don't have to reason and debate about every little thing. All you have to do is know the gospel. And when, when somebody comes to you and says something, then you can speak the gospel into that. You don't have to disprove everybody's point of view and everybody's worldview. You don't have to know a whole lot about Islam and, and Hinduism, Mormonism, or what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe, or what other denominations believe, or what other groups who refer to themselves as Christians, but we question that, what they believe. You don't have to know how to tear apart their belief system. All you have to know is the gospel. And speak the gospel into that. And God does the rest. He calls His people to Himself. And then when people accept the gospel, we say, Hey! Come to church with me. We're being built up. There's, there's more to this than just the basic gospel. Come to church. We're being built up. We're being stimulated onto love and good deeds. This is amazing. That is how. And that's what I hope the Church of Sunsites reveals about the Word of God in our community and others. And the gospel isn't I mean, it is meant for believers. We need to hear the gospel over and over again. But we also need to take it. We need to be equipped and we need to take the gospel.